From the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It is the Craig Needles Podcast. It is the Friday Roundtable here at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca. We're ready to get your podcast. We are there too. We are here to break down all sorts of fun things here on the Friday Roundtable, first of which being four years for Austin Matthews. Sean, good? Oh, ha- yeah. very happy with that. I'm, now, yeah. if we can just get Mitch Marner on a 12-year deal. <laughs> Sadly, those are not permitted by the collective bargaining agreement with the NHL. But uh, I, I would be a very happy camper. Um, no, that, that's great news for the Leafs, of course. And, and I think it's hard to believe it's the end of August already. Like, I know. Hockey season starts in just I, a few we, weeks. Uh, uh, we were just talking about... the last season. Right. <laughs> we were just talking about back-to-school shopping. Let's, let's hey, I'm retiring say, from the bench, though, this year. Yeah. So I get oh, to just you? go and be a fan and enjoy oh, the cool. games. So uh, Let's just say who's here. Uh, the Deputy Mayor, Sean Lewis, you were just hearing seconds ago. Uh, City of London Budget Chair, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Pelosa is here, as is activist Mojde Cox. Hello, everybody. Thank you for Hello. being here today. Hello. Hello. Uh, let's get started with AMO, which I know took up most of the weeks of, uh, of two of the people in this room. Mojde, did you go to AMO? At all, were you any I did not. But okay, I was, I was there very briefly. Intently yeah. on what is left of Twitter and on social media, <laughs> I have been following along. So this is going to be a great conversation to get a first-hand debrief. Yeah, yeah. So we had AMO this week. Uh, all the big wheels in the province were here. Councillors from all over. So I think we had fifteen hundred delegates, and uh, the, the event got very good reviews, which was great. Uh, Sean or Elizabeth, whoever wants to take this first, uh, there was I, I, to me the big conversation conversation there where it was around two things one housing and to localize it the city of london's health and homelessness plan i think those were the the things that i thought were generating the most conversation there am i right about that i i hope i'm right about that health and homelessness top of mind yeah well first of all uh 1500 was what we um bid on when right when tourism yep. london put in the bid to, to host amo we actually had 2,400 registered participants wow. at this conference. The largest AMO. Does that include all the TVO media staff ever. who had to leave that Monday does morning? Does not include the TVO media staff because <laughs> yeah. media don't count as registered participants. Even though Craig um, was there lurking, we I did was, see you. I was lurking a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I even passed him on the street during yeah. uh, oh, one I of the lunch breaks. But um, uh, yeah, so tremendous success in terms of bringing together all kinds of people from across this province. I think there was a lot of excitement because, of course. Uh, Last fall, there was an election. So there were a ton of newly elected uh, councillors and mayors at this conference. Uh, So it was a great opportunity to uh, reconnect with some old friends, but also to make a a whole lot of connections with new friends as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I loved the fact that I I met a couple of councillors, newly elected councillors, under 25. Oh, Mm -hmm. great. Representing their communities for the first time. Um, love seeing that kind of, of uh, change of changing of the guard, uh, some fresh minds and fresh ideas coming in. Um, had some great conversations with uh, rural and small community uh, mayors and deputy mayors as well. Uh, it seems like every time I, I go to one of these things now, there's this little like deputy mayor's caucus that finds each other and goes <laughs> off uh, uh, for a couple beers and talks about uh, what those roles look like in their communities. But very, very successful. Lots of good conversations uh, around a number of items. Absolutely. Uh, housing, um, uh, foreign student visas and, and the impact that that has on housing, uh, the uh, health and homelessness plan of the City of London and some of what uh, Kingston is doing. That was obviously the dominant conversation. Uh, wasn't the only conversation. There were lots of other good uh, conversations going on. 
I know there was a, a panel uh, with our own uh, Jay Stanford on it who was talking about the uh, Blue Bin uh, Enhanced uh, Producer Responsibility uh, Program and our Green Bin rollout was talked about as well. So, uh, you know, there were other topics, but definitely uh, housing and homelessness from my perspective uh, was top of the list. Yeah, um, it's nice that you had your little deputy mayor huddle. That was nice and warm. Our budget chair huddle in the other corner was a little bit more daunting of the pressures we have coming down for us and the constraints that we're on while so many residents are struggling. Also had received really great feedback on the learning tours. We offer colleagues coming from across the province, knowing that the you were heading up one. Yeah, we had a, a wonderful uh, tour of the East Lions Community Centre. Um, and I was able to persuade the bus driver to take a route so that we were also able to go b- by our protected bike lanes on Wayvale nice. and the Kiwanis uh, Park Skateboard Park uh, to, to show that this is not just one space, but it is a connected space to the whole yeah. neighborhood. Uh, so that was really good. Um, that was actually where I met one of the, the uh, young new counselors. Uh, who was very keen and very interested in both our bike lanes and our skateboard park. He's already got a motion before his council to implement a skateboard park uh, in his community. So I was telling him, you know, go for it. This has been really well loved and well received. So that was fun to do. Uh, I don't know, which one did you get to do? Um, I had other meetings during that time, but there are other ones that were highlighted was try recycling for waste diversion from commercial and builds within our community and doing the great work there. Um, 100 Kellogg. A great example of what we can do for reimagining spaces. Mm-hmm. West Five, and a lovely walking tour of downtown that magically ends up at some of our favorite pubs. So, really good and well positioned and well attended events. And it was lovely. Museum London hosted a reception. And just so many people also took the opportunity to bring their partners or someone else to the conference and hearing from them that they were having a great time in the city too. And Tourism London did a great job highlighting the wonderful things that London is doing and being an innovation for a city of music, the film industry, and other other sectors. Well, and of course, a uh, big shout out as well to RBC Place and uh, Laurie and her staff there who did a fantastic job as the uh, primary host venue. Uh, to the Tourism London folks, like you were saying, you know, um, every every function had a music component to it to highlight our UNESCO City of Music designation, so that was great. Um, and, you know, for Londoners, if, you, if you're thinking about why does this matter to me, you know why it matters? Our hotels were full on a Monday and a Tuesday night, nights where they're typically almost vacant. Uh, our restaurants patios. and patios yeah. were just full to the brim with customers uh, for four straight days. So the economic benefit to the city of London in hosting like, one of these? It was millions. It's like, millions, yeah. And and we, I know that uh, Tourism London will, will eventually give us an economic <laughs> impact study a few weeks down the road, uh, but I, I know it's going to be in the millions of dollars in spin-off benefits. And, and what I'll say for, for this one compared to, say, a sporting event, not that we shouldn't do sporting events, of course we should, but... The investment to go get this one isn't the same. You, the, 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 the profits are bigger for the community because we don't have to put as much in to make sure it happens. So there's that element of it as well. Mojde, what do you think councillors or deputy mayors or budget <laughs> chairs or whoever it is should be talking about when they all get together at something like, uh, at something like uh, AMO? Oh, my goodness. Well, I think 
quite frankly, they do a great job. In my other life, I was attending all of these conferences. So I know that, you know, the team at MO, even at the FCM, the Federation of Canadian Municipalities, do a great job of keeping the hot topics at uh, the top of uh, priority for the for the um, these conferences. I would have liked, because London being a, a host city, this round to talk a little bit about the sort of... Uh, rise of the far right uh hate you know the the what we see percolating right now and 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 some of the immediate responses to uh you know pride festival these are the conversations what what are how can we make our communities more cohesive i think this is a question that we should be asking when we bring together decision makers from across the province or the country so i think they generally do an excellent job this time i wanted to see things around environmental sustainability i wanted to see of course housing and homelessness need to talk about affordability we need to talk about attracting good companies who stay i know we're talking about the you know reimagining 100 kellogg but that was a devastating story for the city of london yes. um yeah. and so you know those kind of conversations uh at the forefront would uh, would be really beneficial but they already do an excellent job I'm, and i'm seeing nods here from folks yeah. who are and there was part of the conversations like long-term care homes and what we're of seeing course and increased needs and there was you know some climate specific sessions as well like and I said, there's so many topics that broach everyone, regardless if you're small, large, urban, rural. It's just we're in this together. We just all have a different perspective we're coming at it with. Absolutely. Well, and certainly uh, to jump in on what you were saying, Moje, um, you know, despite the list of topics on, on the agenda for the different panels, uh, there's lots of conversations that happen on the coffee breaks and, and at the social events as well. And certainly uh, that was one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the the... the hate wave of hate that the The lgbtq uh community has faced uh this summer in particular uh was certainly a topic and i know uh when i was talking about talking with uh representatives from smaller communities you know i had marcus ryan uh and uh lindsey wilson and and katie Gregg and and folks from out in the county we certainly were continuing that conversation it was a conversation that sadly started back in the spring and is is ongoing um but it was a conversation that was also uh, on the minds of representatives who've come from other communities further away too. So um, sadly, it's not just a Southwest Ontario uh, phenomena. Uh, people are seeing it in other communities uh, in the North, in the East, um, in the GTA. So it, it it is a topic that's not lost on councillors, even though it wasn't part of the, the official agenda. So uh, it's really amazing the conversations that you have uh, more so at the coffee breaks. And, and Councillor Plows and I, um, you know, the budget chair and the deputy mayor, we didn't get a lot of time, especially on the Tuesday, uh, to attend any of the sessions. because We didn't we, get lunch, huh? No, because <laughs> we were spending all of our time with the mayor uh, doing delegations with provincial cabinet ministers and, and really making our asks of them, uh, presenting our health and homelessness uh, plan and, and, you know, being so very clear with them what about what we What did you ask for then? So when you're saying to them, hey, here's 8. what we 1. want. Yeah. 8.1 million. $8.1 million. Okay. That's, that's a big ask. Do that's you think the, you're going to get it? That's the operating dollars we need to stand up the first five hubs this year. I say we made a really solid case, yeah. invited all the ministers back, and said whatever community partners they want to speak with, regardless if it's the um, hospital, the police services. I said every community partner, there's 67 at the table, said this is community-made, community-led and I said, those other services, I said, it's one taxpayer and what you're putting into it. And I said, you're seeing those same 
demands and resources stretched thin in the hospital and policing. I said, if we can do this homelessness hub, when we do it right and take those acute needs and put them into services that they need, I said, you will see reductions in those other services freeing up resources. And so that affects every community. You can scale this up. You can scale this down. Rural, urban. I said, we're all facing the same problems to different degrees. Let London be the testing grounds. We have accountability built into it and transparency. Like, Give us We've the been money. the testing grounds for all sorts of things <laughs> before, so let's be the Absolutely. testing ground. Right for up this. to the first McDonald's yeah, right here right. in Canada. So. Yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, absolutely, um, everything that Elizabeth said is 100% bang on. And I will say, I was particularly impressed with the delegation we had with Associate Minister of Health, Tobolo. Um, yeah. Minister Tobolo really knows his stuff. Um, he's got a background in this kind of work uh, already. And he really understood the importance of uh, having that transition from, if we can get them from the street into the hubs, and then where's the path from there? And so there was a, there was a, uh, some follow-up discussion on our ask of them about having a rehabilitation center here too, about having an addictions treatment center here in London where we can pr- use the hubs as a pathway to wellness, as a pathway to getting treatment and getting your life stable and, and getting to the point where you can sustain housing. Um, and because of his, his background, he was very, very interested in that conversation. <laughs> Really impressed with the questions he asked, and uh, he's coming back uh, in a couple of weeks for a follow-up uh, with us. Uh, so, yeah, I felt like we really did um, gain some some more traction. You know, we've been lobbying uh, with the province on this for a while now, and we have not been told no. And that continues to be encouraging, especially when we come to them with an $8.1 million ask, and they don't say no. Right. They and say, that, we want to learn some more. We want to come back. We want to keep engaging with you. And they're talking amongst themselves about it because it intersects with health, homelessness, and so, and you know, municipal affairs that they're it talking amongst themselves. It intersects with criminal justice. It Absolutely. intersects with uh, like all sorts of different things. It, it, it has its hands in a lot of different ministries as far as where it can have an impact. Well, we talked to them about the fact that uh, when a police officer has to go on a mental health and homelessness call with an addictions issue, it's, it's an average of 5.4 hours that an officer is tied up on that call. Yes. Um, six thousand emergency room visits between LHSC and St. Joe's last mm-hmm. year by the highest acuity homeless population in this city. Six thousand. Mm-hmm. Imagine if we could just free up a thousand of those from our ERs. How much smoother uh, that Huge would be for impact. everyone needing yeah. to access health care. So there's a big Huge. impact here. Yeah, I'm, I really am pleased to see I was following along and kind of cheering from the sidelines. I know you often hear from me when I have <laughs> critique, um, which we appreciate. But, but I do also um, have kudos to 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 share from time to time as well. And I think that it's important to hold on to the notion that if you if we want to see a whole of community response to a serious issue like this one, we need a whole of government investment in it as well and so my curiosity was piqued around this 8.1 ask that we're being you know persistent with curious if that also includes some money that will top up what the city requires to service the population here because i heard that narrative is that there is a you know a concrete belief that other communities are shipping people and bringing people over here and i know you know i i read um on on uh, what's left of Twitter, what <laughs> someone had mentioned something like we should be asking 
the province for more money to top us up if we're going to be the place that folks are sent to because the resources are more present or are you know how we're handling with this situation handling the situation is better if that's the case if we're an example here in the city then we should ask for some some extra cheddar to support the folks that are coming in as opposed to you know pointing out that they're coming in i think that's important i guess if that's we know that that's what's happening curious have we thought about that will that 8.1 also include that if we get it all let's just say and i want to jump in on on something that uh, a a previous roundtable was talking about in terms of folks coming here from other communities because with all due respect they kind of got it wrong Hmm. Um, nobody is suggesting that as a regional hub uh, for the the county and and the service area of the greater London area that communities and and I had conversations with Mayor Grantham in Strathroy with a warden Burkhart Jefferson in in, uh, Middlesex County we absolutely recognize and and know that it's part of being a regional hub that those communities will have to send folks here particularly for specialized services you know they don't have it if you've got yeah exactly if you've got a woman uh fleeing a domestic abuse situation and you don't have a women's shelter in your community, of course you're going to turn to Innova and Locke and, and our community partners here for help. If you've got a youth on the streets in Strathroy, yes, you're going to reach out to Steve and the team at YOU and, and our other community partners here. That's not what we're talking about. We recognize that there is going to be inflow from our smaller communities because as much as there should be services out there, I hope you're listening, Kelly Elliott, because uh, there should be services in every community, but in the void of that we expect those folks to have to come to london it is the folks who are being uh encouraged to come here by other large urban centers because their services are over capacity and you know what ours are too so you're only setting up false hope and false expectations to do in some cases you're saying oh yeah you can get you'll be able to get this 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 in london but that's not the truth yeah. being told to people. So there's that yeah. part of it. You as might well. get it, but you might be waiting two years. Right. Or five. Or f- yeah, I was being um, somewhat hopeful. But yes, we ha- the province does recognize that this is a concern. So part of the if services aren't going to be offered elsewhere, then we're going to need, need them funded here. Um, at least preliminary, um, you know, that flag has been waved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've been having conversations as the city's budget chair, realizing I also serve on the accountability table with the the hubs um, implementation of, you know, them saying we're going to the four-year multi-year budget cycle shortly, saying, you know, we haven't asked, we need more, we need more, because they see the pressures, they see the need. And the conversations I'm having, realizing as staff would say, you know, we're building the bridge as we walk across it, that if we get the hubs up and going, we get those hundred high needs people into the services they need. I said, ideally, you will start to see a change on your frontline staff too, because those residents won't be at your door. They will have their own space and that will free up your staff for the low and mid needs residents who you're probably more likely to be successful because that's what you're set up as a model to serve and do. And your budgetary pressures should start to alleviate. That's part of the hope of when you start to make change, you see the ripple effect through many organizations and through the communities. Yeah, because we're not going to, I know Councillor Pelosi will be very happy to hear me say in her role as budget chair, we can't say yes to every ask. I don't have there's, money for that. Th- n- we don't. And there's no way we are going to pass on a, a 12 or 16% every year for the next four years 
property tax hike on the residents of London. That will simply not, result in more people being homeless. Not because, with the way grocery bills yep. are, not with the way families can't housing that. prices no. are already. Like, Food security. So there's going issue. to be no's in the budget asks. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of no's in the budget asks. But to your point, uh, Elizabeth, um, if we get these if we get the first 100 highest needs people off the street, maybe the central library doesn't need to hire additional security guards or the, you know, um, whoever, like, doesn't need to hire that yeah. additional security or doesn't need to... The queue at the police moves faster and as the prayers along. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, there, there, there's cost savings. And, and I think there, the province should realize there's cost savings for them too, Mojde, if we have that $8 million on hubs. <laughs> and then we don't see... The same number of people moving through the court system, the same number of people going to EMDC, which sadly is what winds up happening, even though that's not the way to solve the problem. But that's kind of just what the province does sometimes. Yeah, we, we've seen the business case yeah. for what we need to do and why we need to do it and how much money it will save us. It costs I a lot of money to send someone to EMDC. Absolutely, it does. I'd rather have them just be living in one of the hubs here for a little while. It's cheaper absolutely. probably to other housing. That's the most expensive option to go. Yeah. Absolutely. It's certainly cheaper than an emergency room Visit. bed. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Let's not forget what our history in this city is when we close down so many psychiatric supports and, and services. We used to be a pretty um, recognizable hub for mental health and mental illness. We eliminated all of that. So we can't scratch our heads wondering, how did we get here? Like, you know, we, we remember what we did. We closed down Long so many supports. Psychiatric Hospital had 750 beds. Yeah. Parkwood Hospital has, I think it's uh, 128, Elizabeth. Yeah, it's so, Something like that. So it's no surprise that the, the highest number of acuity uh, or the highest acuity uh, number uh, really floats around six to 800. Yeah. About the number of beds we lost. Yeah. <laughs> and the longer people are on the streets, the more it wears impactful their yeah. case gets. Like how, yeah. of course, it's going to wear your mental health. You don't know where you're sleeping, where you're eating, if you're safe. You're worried about your own safety, gonna... everything. Yeah. Yeah. And Mojde mentioned a, a whole of government response, and and I think that this it's important to, although this was not part of AMO, of course, because this was provincial and, and uh, Ontario focused. Um, we are constantly uh, engaging with our local MPs uh, and federal cabinet ministers when the opportunities present itself uh, because while we're asking the province for 8.1 million in operating costs to help with the hubs we are looking to the federal government for millions more uh, in housing start money um, that rapid housing and housing accelerator fund dollars that can get those highly supportive that can get those rgi and can get those affordable units built uh, because we can't build them yeah. on the city's budget we need the federal government to pony up the cash on the actual capital costs of building housing. Right? We need yeah. to use transitional um, housing to make the program it. a success, to give you some place to go once you've started to realize and have hope. You want to you wanna know what I want to hear more about is social housing. I don't want to throw a wrench in this conversation as we're trying to transition <laughs> to the next topic, yeah. but I'm like, where in the world is London housing in this conversation? And and we haven't really heard very this much. This is one, the, the Kretsch and Martin era liberals kind of just kicked that to the curb. And Canada's been kind of spinning ever since that happened. Yeah. Yep. That's part of it. Social housing has yeah. to be a part and of the narrative of not, we're really missing something, folks. And I can speak yeah. to that. Because I'm on the board. Um, listen, um, RGI housing, uh, social housing, London housing, cannot 
continue to operate the way it has been operating for the last 50 years. Nope. Okay. It, it has been a deeper and deeper and deeper hole year after year after year after year. And, the repair and, bills are getting and, higher and higher. Yeah, and and yep. Craig is right. It started with the uh, federal liberals under Cretchen and Martin uh, cutting the national housing program at the time. And then it was more downloads under the Harris government here in Ontario to the municipalities. And we've got a lot of buildings that are just in an abysmal state of repair. The city has put record amounts of money into London housing, and we're still just starting to make headway now. Now, the one thing I will say is the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, Some of our buildings are now mortgage-free, and so we've been able to leverage those to start uh, renovations, to start renewals, and and there's going to be intensification on London housing sites. So the Southdale Millbank site, for example, we are removing 18 townhomes, but we are replacing those townhomes with 97 new units in an apartment building, including three and, talk about a unicorn, four bedroom nice. units. With so, community space. With community that's, space that's as well. Built. That's so good. there is a, a, a new leadership at London Housing. It is yeah. looking at ways to increase our RGI uh, inventory in the city, but it's going to be a slow process, right? It's And I mean, I've said this many times. I wish I had a magic machine that could just roll down the road and spit out a new apartment building. Um, it's the same with London housing and with the interest rates and the, the labor, skilled labor, especially uh, shortages right now. Like things are not moving fast. Um, they are moving though. And those townhomes are coming down. Uh, the zoning has gone through the planning application. Everything is in place for this project to move ahead. So it's a start. Absolutely. Um, but we are also actively looking at other sites already in the portfolio because the biggest expense is land. It's real estate. So we can't afford to buy new land for RGI housing right now, but we can certainly look at intensification, just like we're looking at everywhere in the city. Yeah. Build up, don't build out. Yeah. And so that's the way that London Housing is approaching it too. Yeah. Now, mixed income housing is also really successful across the world (laughs) we see reports of this so you know in the interim we can look at uh, you know units and spots where we do have units you know propped and prepped and ready um and to code so i don't i just i hope that it's a lesson that we can't neglect um the housing units to the extent that we did with london housing um to the point where now, we, you know, they're at a point of no return, some of the units. And it's devastating because folks on on, on limited income deserve to live in, in dignity. And we are, are doing things like replacing HVAC systems and elevators and those kind of things, which are very expensive projects. But it is happening. Those renewals are coming. Uh, but of course, like every other agency, we are faced with uh, security challenges, uh, with cleaning and maintenance challenges, pest control challenges. So there's those those big ongoing operating costs, like without public subsidies, London housing could not continue on the rent that we take in from our, our tenants because it's not enough to maintain the operating costs. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, we're just, we're in a real mess here. <laughs> and it's, uh, it, it's going to take some time to, to dig out. Of you know what would help? What's that? Doubling ODSP shelter allowance. Hey, that sounds phenomenal to me. Hey, and, did, did, OW. And, yeah, OW. and OW. And OW. Did you yeah. bring that up when you were talking to folks? Uh, this that week? may have come up once or twice. Good, <laughs> good, because that that 
that to me should be the first thing that comes up when we're talking to the province. And I get that there's a lot going on right now, but that's that's got to be part of it. In fact, I will say we had uh, a delegation uh, as well, not just provincial cabinet ministers. The official opposition was here as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Merritt Stiles and some of the yeah. NDP caucus were here. And that was the message um, that I certainly delivered to them is the number one thing you can do to help us right now on housing affordability is really focus on getting the government on those housing allowance rates. They need to go up so that people on social assistance can at least maintain where they are living now. Yeah, I don't need more people on my list. I would need those people who are currently on the edge to have to be able to stay there. To yeah. be able to stay there and have food security and not add to the problem. They can take care of themselves. And I'm seeing more people on our our Facebook groups of, you know, community giving and Londoners of more people. It's the first time I've ever seen it of saying, you know, I'm losing my apartment. I can't afford it. Where in London is a safe place to go set up my tent? Yeah. Like, it's just devastating. Like you were housed, you're fine, you're stable, you're not on anyone's radar. And now it's where can I put up my tent? Yeah, it's and I have a kid. Where can I go? Yeah, that's it's 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 not sustainable and hasn't been. It, and this is twenty five years of bad policy, sadly, and now we're really seeing the, really seeing the teeth of it, and it's it's it's, it's got to be reversed. And I actually asked Merritt Styles about that myself. I I talked to her, and 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 she noted that they 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 committed in the last campaign to doubling OW and ODSP. I noted to her that. You guys kind of had to be drag kicking and screaming to that position a little <laughs> bit, but uh, that. But uh, she said that no, that's going to be our, our our position next time. Is that 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 we're going to want to double ODSP, and I think that's the right position, and I think that uh, that everyone should adopt that. Uh, let's talk about provincial politics real quick. Uh, I want to ask you about Ryan Amato, who is no longer with the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario, who's no longer Steve Clark's uh, chief of staff. This is obviously the plan on changing the channel in the Greenbelt mess. I don't understand why the Conservatives didn't toss him on, uh, overboard on day one, but they did it earlier this week. I think right after AMO had come to a close, I think the news kind of started leaking out. Mojde, do you think this does enough for not all, and probably not you, but some Ontario voters to change the channel on the Greenbelt mess? Oh, it's, 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 oh goodness, it's never enough. This conversation shouldn't, we shouldn't even be having this conversation. We can commit, we can fulfill our commitments without touching the green belt. Yes. Leave the green belt alone. That would be enough. Until that happens, I don't know if it's enough on my end. I know that's not the most uh, creative response, but that is a very truthful one. And I think there are uh, people that live in those communities right now and people who are elected officials in those communities right now that would tell you, we don't need to do anything with the green belt. Yeah. So a deep conflict when you see someone not following protocol like that. Yeah. Okay. You, they need to resign. Yes. And leave the green belt alone. I don't want to hear it again. <laughs> if that's <laughs> if we're really committed to changing that. All. We, we, why are we touching it? It, it? There is no rational response to this. And so now that we're really understanding why all of this is a part of the narrative right now in the first place, um, I think it should become more and more clear to us that on no front should we be trusting this party. And I'm sorry if I'm speaking too no, um, no. closely in, in, no, in I, partisanship. I, but no, it's, I want that. This is, this is if, if voters now cannot see that they are not respecting common people who go and vote and, and pay their wages and follow their, their, their journeys in leadership, 
um, we, you know, I think it's it's clear now that we're not treated with any level of respect. And by we, I mean, I no way am I ever going to vote in that direction anyway. So I'm not a part of this narrative. Like, I'm not responsible for this man being here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I won't take any any of that on myself. However, I hope that that changes the narrative on 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 people's minds to a show up to vote secondly to treat themselves with dignity so that politicians like that don't disrespect us to the point of not understanding what a conflict of interest is or why we shouldn't be touching the green belt like you know what i mean so i think that um is it enough no i think we should be um digging in far deeper in this and revealing all all of the self-interest that was embedded in all of this and and i hope that when it comes down to going to vote both at the federal and the provincial level we understand that the federal conservatives and the provincial conservatives have no respect for the common people yeah i say that topic did come up to it amo uh there was the questions from the floor and people were definitely interested in the green belt and having heard that we can meet our housing um projections without having to touch it and it's such an important piece that's been set aside um but it's always weighing politically if we're talking election cycles and that's what we run in for your election cycles of if you're not their voter anyways they're not going to care that you're feisty right um they're wondering what have they done to their voters their supporters their donors is it enough of how does it sway and you know they're the ones who that they know what their internal communications are coming in saying what their donors or supporters are writing to them and asking like you know their uh mpps like that's what's gonna sway of like how much pressure are they getting because if we're not supporting them um they're not going to care and as um elected officials municipally we sit at the pleasure of the province so you know i'm not speaking out how i say one way or another just i know you know i always try to believe that there's majority i try to believe that the majority of people in politics are good <laughs> try to believe that that we're showing up for the right reason um and that when we call on them municipally for something that our partners come to the table um and just you know amo certainly walk in that fine line of our personal opinions and viewpoints and morals and our compass realizing the work we need to do in the city and those players we need at the table um in addressing this issue together well, you're 100% right. First of all, we have to be diplomats. Part um, of the deal, I understand. It's, you know, we don't have to Tastes like... bad it. sometimes. We don't have to like everything the government does, um, but we have to recognize that that's their decision to make, not ours. Um, and I say this regularly at council, and we'll say it again, I'm sure, during budget debate, stay in your own lane, focus on the municipal stuff here in London. But can't we fund and other things out of yeah. our jurisdiction? You also yeah, but- are elected in a municipality... <laughs> That doesn't that have is far. To do with that the green is, belt. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that's where I was going. Is yeah. you know, for London voters in three years, is this green belt issue going to matter? Is it going to no. matter next month? It's yeah, because at the end of the day, this is a long like three years before the next provincial election, and and unless you're directly impacted, and by then, like let's be honest, homes will be built in in some of that land that's been brought in. The planning applications are already going in. Let's not let's not kid ourselves. So it, it's. Part of it, at least, is going to happen. The RCMP will do their thing. A couple more staffers might get fired. There might be a criminal charge laid somewhere along the way. Um, but that's what they will say to voters in three years is the person responsible was fired. Yeah. 
um, by the way, we lowered your taxes. By the way, we did, you know, we, we hired a, a hundred more, we funded a hundred more police officers. We funded this, we did that. And they're going to talk to pocketbook issues and, and issues that matter to people in their communities. And, and for most of Ontario, the green belt is a Toronto issue. That's true. I would agree with that. And the other thing I'll say is that just a comparable scandal for the McGinty government would obviously be gas plants. And I know it's not the same amount of dollars and all that stuff. Don't tweet me about that. But, <laughs> but Kathleen Wynne got reelected with a majority after the McGinty government had gas plants. Yep. David Livingston went to jail over gas plants eventually. And that, like, obviously Wynne won her majority before uh, that occurred. But David Livingston went to jail over gas plants. And... That mess of a scandal didn't stop the Ontario Liberal Party from winning a majority. And does somebody else do something less politically popular in the meantime? Yeah, before you're like, yeah. does someone else do something stupider? And, yeah. and <laughs> until the opposition parties, um, I mean, there's only one official opposition party right now, um, but any of them, in, until they get serious about pocketbook issues, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not. It's it's going to be another conservative government because people at the end of the day they don't get out and vote because they're angry about a scandal in toronto they get out and vote because they're struggling to make ends meet they get out and vote because their groceries are through the roof because gas prices are too high because of whatever they get out and vote because it's affecting their lives directly this comes down to like just about every provincial issue one thing how do people who voted for justin trudeau's liberals federally and Doug Ford's Conservatives provincially, of which there are many, in Brampton, Mississauga, the, 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 not necessarily the suburbs of Toronto, but sort of not downtown Toronto, but outside of downtown Toronto. How do swing voters in those spots feel about that issue? Well, in Mississauga, they, they probably vote for Bonnie Crombie. Yeah. But well, and there it assuming is. she, uh, you know, she's if the, she's the leader, yeah. uh, if she's not, then then do they move? It'd be depending on who uh, wins that leadership race, of course. Um, but I I think you're right. That's, but why that's did where they this vote? Gets decided. Why did they vote for those two parties federally right. and provincially? Right? Are they, were they voting based on policy, or were they voting on what was in their own? best interests for their pocketbooks yeah and i think that they might have been voting on what's in their best interest which is fine that's 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 how people vote but th- th- that's the spot that decides a provincial election it's the yeah. 905 has anyone done an analysis on all the migration that took place during covid that's to interesting southwestern ontario like in our area because you mentioned brampton Mississauga. i mean i run into folks in my end of town that are have migrated from that area in 2020 um at the height of covid So curious how that's going to impact the next round of provincial and federal Mm -hmm. elections because our demographic has changed drastically and it's predominantly from that area. Yes, that's true. Now, the Ford government did exceedingly well with new Canadians the last two elections. They did really well, just based on polling. Not we We don't have exit polls with quite the same level of data that the United States might. But just based on polling data, the Ford government did exceedingly well with new Canadians. I don't. I, so, what does that mean for them going forward? I don't know. Is that a group that that may leave them, may stay with them? I don't know. But they did very well there. I think uh, as long as we can drive the level of homophobia that comes from that party, uh, that's transphobia. That the, is absolutely part of the it. The divisive way the, of of because in 2018, a lot of what was driving that particular bus was the Ford government saying we're going to get rid of uh, 
this, this, and this the with sex, sex ed, ed curriculum. Yeah, yep. that's right. That was so that was definitely part of it. I honestly think if you yep. were to say, yep. how did they win the hearts and minds of newcomers with, while actively disrespecting them? It's that. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a it's a really odd. That's and fair. I, you yep. know, as an immigrant, I'm gonna. Have, we'll, we'll have to eat this one um, <laughs> we'll have to eat this one because we're not collectively doing a wonderful job at coming to terms with um, the values of 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 yeah of, I don't of where, know, where, equity where, and fairness for yeah. all and, and and we've talked about stories like this on this on this podcast before surrounding you know things that have happened at uh, at schools with a significant percentage of, of Muslim populations it's, it's and 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 kind of doing and not showing up on on certain days in the calendar like we so it's it's a it's a complicated issue to say yeah. the least. and it's not just Muslims because I no of course you know, not for, like, so I let's talk about Catholic school board Sean and I you've talked about this <laughs> podcast many times precisely yeah. yeah precisely I know I know that's what the narrative was in the last few rounds but I do think that that's what they're speaking to and it's uh, it's it's really interesting um, with the you maybe know, if newcomer the teachers cashment. have a strike vote this fall we can finally get rid of the Catholic school board. <laughs> maybe the, maybe the province will say, you know what? Maybe we need to save some money here and and merge the. You boards. are dreaming in technology, I am, I know, but it's nice to have dreams. I it share your nice. dreams. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last thing uh, before we wrap up. Speaking of federal politics, want to ask about a poll from the Toronto Star today saying most Canadians think that the Liberals would be better off if Justin Trudeau wasn't their leader in the next election. Do you agree with most Canadians? Agreed. I mean, it's. <laughs> To me, to me, to me, it's about six of one, half a dozen of the other. Uh, like the, the the next election, to me, comes down to one thing: will the conservatives boot it for themselves? If if this if the federal that's been the question for the last couple. That's of the last last two, and the last and, and, and the last couple have yeah. So will yeah. if Pierre Polyev and his team don't make a big mistake, Pierre Polyev is going to be prime minister. That is so frightening. To, it, it, it's I think that's just where we're at. Like poll came out today. I forget who did it, but the Liberals are down twelve points. Mm-hmm. Uh, conservatives had 38% support, which for them is not just majority territory, but easy majority territory. Um, Ideally, Justin will follow in his father's footsteps, take a walk in the snow at Christmas, and let the party start looking for a new leader at the beginning of the year if if they want to continue to govern, because I think they need a fresh face. If He's just become too polarizing and too divisive uh, amongst Canadians uh, for for him to remain at the helm and for their mm-hmm. party to remain the governing party. So here's the catch-22 the Liberals have. I think the best person, the most capable person they have in their caucus right now to be prime minister is Anita Anand. I really believe that. Is Anita Anand a viable liberal leader in Quebec? Do Pro- people care about capable versus... Uh, yeah, and, and there, there's that too. Yeah, so yeah. like if it's not Anita Anand, want? is it Melanie Jolie? Like it, it, it'd be an interesting conversation as far as who I, I don't think it's Freeland whoever it's uh, I don't and, and is it a member is it a member of the current caucus I mean yeah. there is the ability to yeah. go outside of caucus and bring in a new leader too yeah I mean true. I don't know who that would be but um, I know everybody always looks at the caucus and says who's the next leader but it's not uh, completely unheard of for somebody to come from the outside for the governing party to have someone come from the it's outside? it's a challenge yeah. I will grant you uh, but uh, it's not there's there's nothing that prevents it from happening nope. if the right person were to step forward. Nope. And again, I don't know who that person it would, depend would on possibly be. How liberal members feel about yeah. the situation, obviously. But yeah, I I, I I have thought about this for a lot of the day ever since I saw the poll. And my, my first thought was, yeah, they'd probably be better off with somebody else because of the polarization that you're just talking about. Then I realized to myself, okay, who's that person going to be? And does this election just come down to whether the conservatives booted for themselves anyway? 
Like, does it matter who the liberal leader is? And, I mean, and have have the liberals vocalized how they feel they've done? Like, <laughs> like I mean, have they like are they evaluating themselves with this? And that's this that's, that's an interesting question because there there are a lot of issues where I think that they have fallen short of where they have said they wanted to be. And if that's the case, how are you winning the hearts and minds of voters who and and you're going to need the voters who are, oh, do I vote Liberal or do I vote NDP this time? Because those voters obviously are out there. They exist, and they're deciding between one or the other. Or and, the voter and, who says, do I really got to vote today, or is it just You know what, I may not even go. And, yeah. and their I'm voter stays home. home. Yeah. 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 Wasting my time. So yeah. I, I'm just going to say what I think might happen is they're going to have a pretty more, um, pretty, um, you know, right of center uh, new leader to be up against someone like Pierre. Um. Maybe. And it, it, I, you know that's what would make most sense if they want to get into the race with the conservatives and be up against them toe to toe. Can't have a like I don't even know if Justin Trudeau has an opinion on anything, quite frankly, um, himself. Like, do I know that that's an authentic Trudeau opinion? Mm, I can't really think of an issue that I could say. He had, compelling um opinions so let's let's see let's see if they make that shift but i i hope that um i hope that there is a strategy to not lose more voters to the right yes. far far conservative right and um because that's where the conservative party is moving towards i think we need to yeah, keep to me, an eye on and, that. and this is the, the thing that drives me nuts about the current version of the conservatives is talk about affordability and housing that no one who is a conservative running in the next campaign should talk about anything other than that. When we start talking about World Economic Forum and we start talking about uh, trans hat kids stuff. and World Economic, like, you know, like that, you're just hurting yourself. You know, that's all you're doing. You're going to win on affordability. You're going to win on housing I'm if that's what you talk about. I'm alarmed that their constituency even knows what the World Economic Forum is. It's, like all how, that stuff is, is like trying to keep I mean, people like, on side from going to burn you. That's all that stuff is. And it just like that was alarming to me. I was yeah. like, "You don't folks you, even know the, what the World the, Economic Forum does." <laughs> probably not, because the World Economic Forum doesn't do much of consequence. Uh, <laughs> they don't need the Bernier voters. They're going to have enough voters. They don't need the Bernier people. They can just win with who they've got. Well, and but. for all this talk about leaders, you know, I wish at the end of the day people would spend more time looking at their own local MP candidates. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Listen, we have, and I have no problem. Uh, giving kudos where it's due, right? I mean, I think Peter Fragiscatos does a great job as a Liberal MP for London North Centre. He certainly uh, does everything he can to support us uh, at the municipal level in terms of our funding applications to go forward uh, in, in trying to get money for housing and, and things like that. So kudos to him. I have to um, agree. I can say the same thing about Karen Vecchio uh, in Elgin Middlesex. She works very, very hard for her constituents as a Conservative MP. Now, neither of their parties got my vote. I live in London Fanshawe. My vote went to Lindsay Matheson. But my vote also went to Lindsay Matheson. It didn't go to Jagmeet Singh. I voted for Lindsay Matheson, the person who I think is best going to represent my riding from a London perspective. I wish more people would do that. Because for all of the, the leadership politics, if we actually started empowering our local MPs to tell their leaders when they're wrong, yeah. we'd have a lot Bottom more up. functional democracy. Yep. I think if folks focused on that, there would be less, you know, racism as well directed at Jagmeet. But I don't because think when people question that, of like, why is it like that? I don't think a lot of people understand how party politics is set up and that the leaders 
have to sign your nomination form. So if that local candidate gets out of line too much, sir, you're going to be an independent, you're out, you're running on your own, and we're going to fully fund someone to run against you, and you're out of a job because you spoke up for your constituents. We might be best served by 338 independents. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I would love a world where we have 338 independents, but I don't know if that's... Uh, Sign me up. Yeah, I don't know if that's an option for us. Uh, let's wrap up the, the round Seems to work there. well at municipal councils. Uh, Some days. Yeah, you depending, watch, depending on the day. <laughs> uh, thanks very much to Moj Day and to Sean and Elizabeth for doing the, the Friday Roundtable with us, and thank you very much to all of you for downloading and listening to the Craig Needles Podcast, which, of course, you can find at ClassicRock981.com and London News Today. The Craig Needles Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.